therapist, shaman, healer. That's what a modern medicine woman is, is bringing ancient practices to the table to individuals to help us to shed the layers so we can live out our dharma, our purpose in this lifetime. Welcome to The Space Between, the middle path between East and West, psychology and spirituality, high performance and inner peace. Hi, everybody. This is Katie Cheadle and my co-host Clint Monfort on the Space Between podcast. And today we have Lena Franklin, who is a transpersonal psychotherapist, a speaker, um, a spiritual coach, my personal mentor and friend. Lena, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. So excited about this conversation. Yes. Lena, I want to start with you sharing a bit about your journey to where you are today. And I have like been a witness from afar and I feel a little up close, um, but there's just been so much transformation. Can you talk about how you got into therapy and then how you are, you know, what, what's a modern medicine woman? Like, tell us, take us on the path. Yes. Okay. I will dive right into the story um, and try not to take the entire time that we have together here. Right. So I'm going to take us back to my childhood just for a second, because really my path has been an embodiment of both the East and the West, which is how I grew up. My mom was a Vietnamese Buddhist woman um, and immigrated here to the U.S. in 75. My dad is a good old Southern boy from Marietta, Georgia, to a psychologist. And so together, you know, they created a home environment that was a hybrid Buddhist Christian spiritual space. So we would go to church one Sunday and then the next Sunday we'd be chanting in temple and eating, you know, vegetarian food with the monks my mom would learn from. So from the spiritual sense, it was a really rich upbringing. And, you know, at the time, of course, I'm a child and I'm like, you know, mom's being weird again, wearing her monk robe and, you know, the incense is wafting from the family altar. But it was really the, you know, it was my reality. It was my day-to-day existence. So even though when I was in comparison mindset, I realized, you know, none of my friends' parents were doing this. But for me, it was just, you know, mom's doing her thing again. This this is the way that um, my household is run. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I will say I did not take to that spiritual practice right away. It really was, there were seeds planted within me early on that I would say blossomed much later. But I always knew I wanted to help people. Um, As many healers and teachers and therapists can identify with, you know, I was the kid in school where everyone would come to me with their problems and uh, would be seeking advice and help and guidance. So it's just my true nature to show up for people and to help people. And I have some interesting memories of my dad is a psychotherapist and a psychologist. So of course I would meet him after work in his office and sit in his therapy chair as a kid. And he would take me to like Freud exhibits in Washington, D.C., so, you know, it was a really interesting way to grow up. And, and I saw him, you know, sit and, and help people show up in the space of presence, in the therapeutic space to help people. Um, even as a five-year-old child, I would ask, dad, what do you do all day? 
And he's like, honey, I go to work and I hear people's stories and they pay me. And I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so I was like, I want to do that when I grow up. So in a nutshell, that's a big part of, um, of my foundation was that Eastern Western integration was the uh, intention to show up and help other humans, whatever that looked like. And as Katie knows, um, the first part of my life up through college was dominated by what the physical body could do. The athleticism of being a soccer player and playing collegiate soccer at the University of Georgia was my life, you know, early on. And to earn a full scholarship there, it was like, that was my goal throughout grad, uh, throughout grade school. Um, and so there was a lot of, a lot of different energies were building in that part of my life, determination, teamwork, um, the capacity to, to set your mind to something and to really, um, achieve those goals. Right. So it taught me a lot of lessons, but I wasn't necessarily tuning in to my helper, healer, energetic side. Mm -hmm. So kind of fast forward a little bit, I go to grad school uh, to become a social worker again at the University of Georgia. And this was the initial spiritual awakening that I had was when my mom suddenly passed when I was in my first year of graduate school uh, to get my MSW. And her death, I mean, that set me into my initial spiritual awakening, asking myself those questions of why are we here? If life can be taken from us so fleetingly, what is the meaning of being here? And through the grief, I realized that there's so much expansive strength that comes from our willingness to lean into suffering. So that came the foundation of all of the work that I do now. And so I was doing it within myself first, right? Going to yoga class, meeting myself on the meditation cushion. And in those silent spaces, I began to get to know myself at a deeper level. I began to understand the meaning of um, emotional healing and energetic healing at a deeper level. So that was a huge part of my um my ascension and my growth into becoming a modern medicine woman and a psychotherapist. And so I, you know, as I continue to practice meditation and mindfulness, I began teaching those skills to my clients um, when I worked at an agency and realized, gosh, when people have tools, embodied tools, they actually get better. And there's, there's something empowering about saying, I have this toolbox that I can use in a moment of extreme crisis, of high emotional dysregulation, of you know catastrophic life change, that we don't need anything outside of ourselves to shift ourselves back into an empowered place, but that everything we, we need exists within us always. And so that message through the meditation practices became um, these almost transmission. Like I learned these practices from my Eastern um, ancestors and from my mindfulness teachers and spiritual teachers. And then I was able to, to get them and transmit them to the clients that I was seeing. So I started my own private practice on the side. And as that continued to grow, it just kind of expanded organically. I started um, I connected with a wellness travel company and cultivated a really strong relationship there and then began teaching 
mindfulness journeys all over the globe and taking people back to the countries in which these spiritual practices originated. And then seeing the power of that, seeing how when we get ourselves out of our day-to-day environment, we have this capacity to shed the layers, the masks, the traumas, the energies that don't serve our highest self, and to come back home to ourselves in a way perhaps we never have. So I was shocked by the power of some of these, um, what I call mindfulness journeys. Mm-hmm. And you know, unfortunately, we can't do those today in this moment, but we'll be definitely getting back to that because it's, you know, it's been such a big part of my life for a while. Yeah. Now, fast forward a little bit more, and you know, my second huge spiritual awakening, kind of this next level healing and expansion came when I realized. I was choosing to be in uh, a spiritually and emotionally bankrupt marriage. Like I was doing all this amazing work um, globally. And in this kind of part of my life, my personal life, my romantic life, I was denying the misalignment that was there. So when you say yes to this work here in the universe, um, you can't do the work in one domain and not do the work in the other. So that disintegrated. Um, I connected with you know, my partner, my beloved in this lifetime, and he's a shaman. So through the shamanic practices that he brings to the table, I've learned so much through him and realized that, you know, they're all labels, right? Therapist, shaman, healer. Um, so that's, that's what a me- modern medicine woman is, is bringing ancient practices to the table to individuals to help us to shed the layers so we can live out our dharma, our purpose in this lifetime. So I can go into more detail in any given area, but that's kind of a nutshell introduction of of my journey and what it means to be um, a modern medicine woman, working in this multidimensional way in the landscape of the soul, in the landscape of our energy body, in order to release blocks that hold us back from being in the fullest expression of who we're meant to be in this lifetime and never a dull day in the office. <laughs> right? Lena, your journey is not only is it so beautiful, but it's, um, gosh, inspiring because you, I don't know, you just, you've always like trust your intuition and are like literally embody just going with the flow, like surrendering to the flow of life. Like I see that and I feel that in you. Why do you think that people are open to working with a therapist, but the idea of like working with an energy healer or shaman, what, what is the stigma around that? What do you think some of the differences are? This is a great question. Thank you for bringing it to the forefront. I think we need to be talking about this more. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I believe that especially in the West, right? We've privileged intellect so much. Yes, science is incredibly, it is important and it's amazing what the scientific community has um, revealed to us. But when it comes to the realms of the unseen energy, for example, you know, if we can't see something, we can't identify it with our ocular vision, I feel that people get really skeptical. And that because so many of our systems here, you know, in modern society are based around fear that fear naturally rises to say, okay, if I can't see it, it's not real, or I'm skeptical that it's real. So there's been a lot of, um, you know, mistrust in 
in what we call, you know, the mystical or the spiritual realm, seeing as a healer, seeing a shaman, there's more skepticism around that at times because of, um, I feel that skepticism of the unseen realms. Also, I think there is a history too. you know, our ancestors who were healers were very much persecuted and ostracized. So there's definitely a historical foundation to why we still feel some of those tentacles today. Mm-hmm. Lena, how would you define energy? Because it is this like elusive thing we talk about, like, oh, you're giving me a bad vibe or, you know, I just have this gut feeling, but it's like, what can you talk a little bit about? Like, what is that? And there is science behind it, right? Absolutely. So now we're seeing the science that's supporting spirituality and energy. So energy adds a fundamental level is the subatomic nature of existence. So I would say quantum physics is the greatest portal into understanding from a scientific lens, the nature of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to understand our limitations. So as humans, we can only see 2% of reality with our ocular sight. Crazy. So if we, if we see those statistics, which are scientific facts, then we can see how much we actually don't know. And then we can open up our consciousness, our belief systems to include the, um, the unknown or the unseen, Mm -hmm. but, you know, put very simply energy is everything. It's what everything is made of. It is the, you know, the, um, the tiny particles of the existence of the universe. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to wrap our brain around that because our, our rational brain wants to like analyze and um, understand, but it, it's so vast that it, it's hard to right. truly understand. Lena, can you talk a little bit about how you work with energy in the therapy room? Because I think, you know, and I've had the honor of working with you for years now, but you know, it's like there is talk therapy where we talk through things, process different things, explore different things. Yet you, you integrate meditation in a way that connects to energy and like different feelings that come up. Um, Can you talk about what that process looks like for someone who's hesitant to work with an energy healer? Yeah. So the intersection of, let's just say psychotherapy, meditation and energy work is a really natural intersection. So I think once we can educate someone that they are an energetic being, that that is the nature of their existence, um, that you know their their the matter of their body is made of energy, but that's not it. Their energy field is beyond the confines of the physical body. Okay, um, those are some I would say foundational points to just educate someone on. And then when it comes to meditation, um, what I like to share is that when we cultivate a meditation practice, we are tuning in inherently to those unseen realms of ourself. Mm. And when we are shifting our thoughts, you know, that's a pretty widely accepted way of, of working with people. It's like, let's work with our thoughts. Let's begin to heal those thoughts that are not supportive for us. That also means we're doing energy work on yourself because a thought, like the thought, for example, I'm not good enough, generates an energy in the body 
and just say it's shame, that emotional energy of shame in the belly is a certain vibrational energy. If we had an energy reader um, to scan our body or a, a scanner that could read our chakras, it would see that lower vibrational energy of shame versus if we felt love throughout our body, that mm-hmm. higher vibration of love. Okay. So when we're working within the realm of meditation, we're essentially doing energy work on ourselves as we learn how to consciously choose our thoughts, thus choosing our emotional state, thus choosing to elevate our energy. So it's not as mystical or out of reach as most people think. Every time we say an intention or an affirmation or a mantra, we're shifting up the energy field of our existence, which is, you know, about two to three feet from the physical body. So I think it's a lot of it is awareness and education around all of these elements being integrated. And once we see that, like, okay, if you say, I am bad, I am bad, I am bad, you feel a certain way. You say, I am worthy, I am worthy, I am worthy. The emotional energy is going to be different and emotions are energy. It's just a fact. Right. How did in your practice, what did you, as you evolved from like a mindfulness based therapist to bringing in more spirituality and bringing in more energy, was that just a natural evolution? The more you studied and spent time with people? I mean, you've been in practice now for over a decade, which is crazy. Crazy. (laughs) Um, And I know that, you know, obviously your partner now, Jeff, I'm sure that this has influenced some of the work because he's so into the energy work as well and knows all the science behind it. I feel like you guys embody this like intellect and science with like the wisdom that comes from like just knowing and sitting Mm -hmm. on the cushion. Um, But talk about like the evolution of, of your work and why you, you were led in this direction. Yeah. This this is that has been such a fun and interesting evolution. It was almost like, okay, when I was going to, this is kind of business talk, but when I was going to create my brand initially, I'm like, okay, what is, what is it? What, what is it that I do? What kind of therapy do I offer? And mindfulness-based psychotherapy felt accessible because at the time, mindfulness was much more in the forefront. John Kabat-Zinn had created MBSR and so there was scientific backing. And so it didn't feel so woo-woo. I was still doing spiritual work, but like you said, Katie, it was like the more soul work I did, the more I sat on the cushion, the more silence I wove into my day-to-day rhythm. There came a point where not talking about the soul in this therapeutic work was betraying who I was at the core. And so I had to shift the way I was practicing and it really did happen organically over time, which meant um, a lot of my more traditional therapy clients fell off because they were no longer in alignment with the practice. And then it created space for me to attract the ideal clients that I'm meant to work with, which are people who are on the path of awakening. You know, they could be CEOs and business leaders, um, therapists, practitioners. I work with a lot of teachers, therapists, um, different clinicians. And those people were definitely at a point where they were ready to do deep inner soul work. Because whether we're talking about an emotional trauma or um, you know, relationship issues, the core of everything is the soul. So whether we're talking about psychology, emotional healing, it's all portal back into the soul. 
So I just began talking about that more explicitly. And it's now the foundation of the work that I do, which does include mindfulness meditation, but we're getting down to the, the crux of it, the core of it. And um, there was fear. I'm going to be honest, there was a lot of fear initially about talking um, so directly about the soul and what soul work is. I was afraid I was going to scare people away, but you know, you got to own who you are at the end of the day as a practitioner. Right. Lena, in one of your mentor groups, when you said you got to let your freak flag fly, I just <laughs> love that. It's like, be, <laughs> be <Yes. whoever. laughs> totally. Yeah. Clint, what were you going to say? Oh, just that, I mean, you seem like you are, are such a meditation master now, and it's, it's amazing that you're the work that you're doing and helping people to, um, to grow and learn through mu- so much through their own meditation practice. But I want to go back to, to your childhood where you were, you were talking about growing up in a Buddhist Christian home. That, that sounds so interesting. So, I mean, where you started off meditating as a, as a young kid. Yeah. So my mom (laughs) would use meditation as a tool for our family. When I would fight with my sister, I have a sister who's three years younger. She'd be like, silence, go to the family altar, sit, sit with your emotions, sit with what's, you know, what's happening. Um, When she would see war depicted on the news, she would, you know, let's, let's do compassion practice. Let's, chant um, to our ancestors. So it very much was, it it was uh, an introduction to meditation, but again, it was almost like she taught it in a way that there were practical tools for life, which looking back is so beautiful. Of course, at the time I was like, mom, like, you know, I don't want to sit, you know, what kid wants to sit silently cross-legged. Um, but I was introduced to meditation as a young child and she would more formally try to teach me, I think around the age of nine, she mm-hmm. taught me more and more. And she was very, um, intuitive herself. She would say, again, I, I thought she was my crazy mom at the time, but she would say, you're meant to teach people these things. Mm-hmm. And so she knew, she knew she was passing down something that was meant to reach many others. And so I'm. I'm honored and um, just touched that, that I was able to receive that. But yeah, I, I learned meditation from her. So do you have any tips for parents out there who might be wanting to introduce these practices to their children, but kind of don't know where to start? Yeah. Yeah. I love teaching um, my clients who are parents. I would say weave it into your daily ritual something that's really easy for um, parents to weave in, which you know you can do every day is a gratitude practice in the morning and in the evening. So when you are, everyone in the house is waking up, you can say your gratitudes for the day, you know, three things you're grateful for. They could be the same three things every day. They could shift, but just the acknowledgement, the intention to embody that for your kids. That is the best teacher that your children could ever ask for it. They don't know it in the moment, but that will inevitably imprint in their minds, in their emotional systems for the rest of their life. They see their parents embodying the gratitude and then inviting them into that space. So there's that in the morning. And then um, at night, you know, my, my mom did this sometimes and now Jeff and I really have a dedicated gratitude practice at night when we're having dinner. We rub our palms together. 
we just hover our palms over the food and breathing through our heart and into the food, we give gratitude for all of the beings it took to bring this food onto this table in this moment. You know, we say thank. And with kids, you can kind of make it fun. Thank you, farmers. Thank you, sun. Thank you, um, grass or dirt or whatever it is. And it's just a really beautiful, fun way to illustrate the lesson of interconnectedness through gratitude. Um, and also, I would say uh, just breathing, simple belly breathing when they're dysregulated and upset. And just you can be the energy shifter, you know, like, okay, we're going to do our fun, mindful belly breathing now so that we're going to shift into our belly and blow up our belly like it's a big balloon. And just allowing that practice to, you know, shift the energy, even if it's just a notch different. So those are some easy practices to begin to weave in. Um, and again, the best thing is for the parent to have their own practice because they, you know, the mirror neurons, right? They get to embody that regulation, which transmits into the energy of their kids. Those are amazing tips. So, so good. And I love that you mentioned the gratitude practice around the food and the energy to your food. I found this hard to believe at first, but then I've deep dove and read the science on it about how the stories we're telling ourselves about the food that we're eating and actually the, the experience around it, it can change the way that the food physiologically reacts in our bodies, which is just amazing. Isn't it amazing? I know I'm like, I can geek out on all the science stuff too. I love that part. And it is amazing. And the energy in which you take it in, it's like if you take something in with gratitude, it's going to metabolize differently in your body versus if you, you know, eat a piece of cake with gratitude versus eating a piece of cake with self-loathing. It's a mm -hmm. different um, digestive, energetic, biological experience. So eat your cake with joy, guys. <laughs> the bottom line. But yes, I love that you've explored that science. So good. Lena, I want to go back to the soul. Um, you know, for someone who's listening and they're like, yeah, I know people talk about this soul thing. Uh, what is soul work? How do I connect with my own soul? Where would, where would you lead them initially? Hmm, this is a good question. Yes. So, well, first of all, I just want to say that the soul is the pure essence of energetic, unconditional love that is who you are. And your soul is a unique imprint of vibration, like a snowflake or a thumbprint, mm -hmm. that yours is divinely unique, and it cannot be recreated in all of time. Mm -hmm. So there's both a, an interconnectedness for all energy, but also a uniqueness of your energetic makeup. So I do think it's important for people to understand that. Um, in terms of exploring more about the soul, one of my favorite teachers, and you know her, Katie, is um, Carolyn Mice, mm -hmm. talks a lot about the soul and energy, I feel, in a way that's really accessible. Now, if she's too woo on the spectrum, I also believe that um, Joe Dispenza is such a powerful teacher of the mind, of energy. And he does talk, he weaves the soul in. Joe's just got it going on um, and, and does it in a way that is highly accessible um, to the masses, which is why we're seeing him everywhere now. 
So I would say those two teachers are really beautiful, powerful portals into soul work. Mm-hmm. And again, your soul is your core. And there's a lot that we do subconsciously throughout the day that stems from our soul that we're just not, we're not aware of. Yes. Yes. For someone who wants to connect to their essence of who they are or that unique imprint you're talking about, that's like a snowflake or a thumbprint, like that uniqueness that makes me me. Um, Lena, do you believe that meditation is the portal to connect to that? Or do you believe that there's other ways? What are your beliefs around that? I, be- I believe that meditation is one of the greatest portals into that unique energetic makeup, your snowflake, your thumbprint. And in this particular question, I would guide someone to go into meditation and visualize themselves as a child. And in the moments of pure joy and freedom, what were they doing as a child? Were they you know, playing teacher or, you know, I was writing poetry, you know, at the top of trees in the woods behind my house and um, setting up my stuffed animals and like counseling them and talking to them about their problems. <laughs> so, like, you know, I mean, it's, we laugh, but it's like, it's so pure. It's so um, untethered. It's not unconditioned at that point. So you're not conditioned by what life expects of you. You are your pure essence. So yes, meditation and then go back. What is, what is your true nature? What lights you up? What has sparked joy in you throughout your life and especially in childhood? Mm, I love that. Lena, one of the interviews I've heard you speak, um, or maybe I even God, maybe it was one of the videos on your, on your YouTube channel, but you were saying that, you know, 90% of the thoughts we have today, we had yesterday. And that's one of the like beautiful things of travel, right? Because it's like taking in this new experience. Can you talk a little bit about maybe one of the Pravasa travel experiences you had that was like most near and dear to your heart? Um, and, and maybe just talk a little bit about what travel in general means to you on your journey. Yes. Ooh, this is a hard one. There's so <laughs> many moments. Um, I'll go to one that was one of the most transformative because it was one of the most overt examples of how our society here in the West can be so different from Eastern societies, right? So in my, let's see, I don't remember. I'm like, what is linear time? I can't remember what year it was in, but a couple years ago, I took a group to India and this was actually during the heat of the um, disintegration and dissolving of my marriage. So I was going through so much internally and I was was guiding a beautiful group of women, an intimate group of women. And we went to a place called Varanasi, which is a sacred city. It is a city where Indian pilgrims come to to honor the great mother, the mother Ganges, the Ganges River. So you see these devoted Hindus, you know, praying and bathing and um, just laying out their intentions and their prayers to this river. So Varanasi is a really interesting place, highly spiritual, lots of temples, lots of ceremonies. Um, But one of the things that you see when you're there is the... um, the visibility of death. 
families will bring the bodies of the, their beloved um, family members who have died all the way to Varanasi, cleanse their bodies out in the open in the river. So, you know, we're like in a boat on the river and you're seeing this as we're driving by with my group of women. And then they prepare the bodies for cremation in the cremation temples that are also set there on the river. So to see the honoring of the soul's transition out of the body so with so much reverence and so much devotion and beauty really was, I mean, I will never forget the moment of taking all of that in and realizing how here in the West, we, I think I truly believe we get death wrong in so many ways. We spend all of our time avoiding aging and death when actually death is not death at all. It's the greatest transformation, right? It's, it's energy transforming into a different just the physical body dies, but the soul is free and transcends into a different realm. So uh, that was such a transformative experience and also triggered, you know, quite a few women on, on the trip because who's ever seen like a bunch of dead bodies just being cleansed and then, um, and then the, the smoke coming up from all of these cremation temples, knowing that bodies were being burned inside these temples one of the most overt examples of transformation and the alchemy of the life death rebirth cycle. And, you know, I can say so many other moments of travel um, that have been trans transformative, but this was like really will always stick out in the forefront of my mind, really powerful. And so that's what happens is we go on these trips and you never know what's going to happen. You never know what may awaken you, what may trigger you, what may wake you up in a way you've never been before. Um, I always say, you know, I interview people to come on the trips and I say, you will come back transformed. Now, I don't know what that transformation looks like at this point, but I've had women come back, you know, come back with their job, come back, get divorced, come back. Um, start the business of their dreams. So I'm like, be careful what you wish for because your life could completely change. When you see a piece of yourself reflected in an experience abroad, that will stay in your cellular system for the rest of your life. And that's what happens. It's like we get woken up, our soul gets awakened by the sensory experience of seeing different cultures and tasting different foods. And, you know, the soul knows, the soul has recognition of when we go to a place that we've been to in a prior lifetime. And we're naturally drawn to those areas in the world that our soul has lived in. So it's no coincidence that, you know, it's like, oh, but we feel Bali calling, or I really want to go to Japan, or, you know, called to uh, Peru, or whatever it is. So it's, it, and then just the science of when you're out of your day-to-day -day environment, you create space to generate new thoughts and those thoughts create new emotional blueprints. And that emotional blueprint will then create space for you to, you know, um, reprogram the thought pattern. So it's this really beautiful reciprocal relationship between thought and emotion, which is all energy at the core. Mm -hmm. I could go on and on about the travel piece, but it's, it, it, I mean, it was way more transformative than even I realized when I started doing that work. Right. Lena, as you were talking about like 
the callings to travel to different places and maybe our soul's been there before or, you know, I have to share last week I did Reiki for the first time and um, the energy healer who did this with me, she, she kept getting images of Stonehenge. Lena, I grew up and I don't know why I did this, but Stonehenge was like my screensaver on my laptop. I had a picture of it in my bedroom when I was in middle school. Like I was just, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I never thought anything. I just thought I was a little girl that liked these, you know, the, the vision of Stonehenge. And then when she was like getting those images, you know, coming through her while working with me, I was like, I have to go like what, I don't know if, you know, in another lifetime, I have no idea, but isn't that interesting? Amazing. It's amazing. So, yeah, that, obviously no coincidence. No coincidence. And a lot of times, so I, I know, you know, you're, you're in a lifetime where you're, you're stepping into your dharma and you're really sharing your work in a widespread way. So we can call these culmination lifetimes where we're pulling in the lessons and the pieces of wisdom that we've received from so many lifetimes. And if we're in a culmination lifetime, which I feel like you are, we're then called back to places to almost um, complete the cycle. It's like if something happened there, we get closure by going back in this culmination lifetime. So, so interesting. I love that for you. Lena, when you were talking about death, I have a question for you around that. You know, I think, um, you know, there's research like around performance of like people who think about death, it um, more often it like drives them to, you know, achieve more and work harder and know that like our time here is limited. But then Mm -hmm. some people, when they think about death, often there's fear and oh my gosh, it's then you're like not really living. What is What do you believe is like a healthy or how can we relate to death and, and, and use it almost to like inspire greater living or how do you relate to death? Mm, Great question. It's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, What I would say is, is bring death into your day-to-day rhythm. See the beauty of death everywhere. It's apparent to us when the leaves on the trees, you know, change color and fall off. It <laughs> sounds so funny. I don't know why this came to mind. It's when you exfoliate your face. You know, it's like the death of the cells. We regenerate all the time. It is the moment of the sun setting behind the horizon, the death of that day. Death is transformative. Death creates space for new life. Death is everywhere. Death is the true nature of our existence. So how can we, um, we see the death that when we grow and we heal ourselves and you go to Reiki and you go to therapy and you meditate, you see the death of old ways of being, the old paradigms, the old belief systems. So I would say bring death into your daily practice and begin to see the beauty of death everywhere, which to some may sound a little strange. But, you know, again, it's a, it's a reprogramming of how we are relating to the concept of death, like you're saying, Katie. And that's what I do. You know, every day I'm like, okay, um, the beauty of death lives within every moment. It's like this moment and then this moment and then this moment, right? And so how can I embrace each moment with a beginner's mind as I allow myself to constantly die? 
so I can be constantly rebirthed. And that is what we do when we're on this path of awakening. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, Clint, before I ask Lena, my final question, do you have anything else? Cause I, I know we're on a, a time crunch. I just have, I just have a silly fun question that is, uh, so my fit, my family is from Georgia too. So you said growing up, you were eating like a vegetarian diet with your mom. Was that like on Friday and then on Saturday you're eating grits? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Grits and like whatever steak or pork or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 Such polar opposites. That must've been such an interesting dynamic anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, it definitely, it was like spring rolls and fried chicken or whatever. <laughs> I, love I love that. Yeah. Um, Lena, you know, our, the name of the podcast is the space between, and really just this dance and you and I've talked about it as you've helped guide my, my path of just like, gosh, like in the 3d world, you know, like all these things we crave and we want and that our ego desires, and then like being on the spiritual path and then just this constant, this constant dance of trying to find the middle path, right? And you have helped me so much in understanding that and really embodying that. But I want to know for you personally, like, you know, where are you dancing in your own life right now? Like where, where are you going back and forth in the space between? Oh, constantly. I was actually just at lunch with a, with a friend. I was, I was sharing this with her. So I'll share it with you all. I'm I'm really, and I'll be honest, I at times struggle with the dance of knowing that this physical existence is so much an illusion in many ways, right? If we can only see 2% of reality with our ocular vision, but we're put, you know, for the most part, humans put um, 100% of their perception of reality on what they can see and feel. So I struggle with, the dance of knowing the nature of reality, the expansiveness, the multidimensionality of who we are as energetic beings, and then the minutia of day-to-day life, answering mm. emails, creating a business, you know, the, the tactical aspects of what it means to be um, an entrepreneur and a, a human in this world. So it's this constant, um, you know, you're engaging and then you step back into your practice to refuel and then you're engaging and then you step back. And also this idea of um, the falseness of the ego, the ego teaches us what is false, but, with, but also without the ego, we wouldn't have the drive to get up as an individual human to get into our day-to-day rhythm. So, you know, as you show up in, in your day-to-day life, the big I is present and know, knowing how false that big I is at times, it feels like this constant ebb and flow. So my practice is um, embracing the philosophy of yes and. Yes, I'm a multidimensional spiritual being um, made of energy and this three-dimensional life has given me this vessel and this ego to work with. And I fully embrace and love and accept it while also working to soften it. So it doesn't harm other, other beings because the ego obviously can be very harmful to others. So it's this yes. And working with it all on all levels all the time. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. And I, yeah, I can just mirror to your wisdom and expansiveness touches so many in the 3D world. Um, And it's, yeah, your work is unbelievable. Lena, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. We are like the luckiest. Thank you. Thank you guys. This has been so fun. I feel like we could go on and on. And I just uh, thank you guys for creating such a conscious platform for people to share the truth because at the end of the day, that's, that's what I'm most interested in is, um, conscious conversations, conscious connections, um, about what is real and what is true. And you both are creating space for that. And Kitty, you know how much I love you. So thank Thank you. Lena, Lena, where can people follow you and work with you? And yeah, let, let us know all the things. Yeah. So, um, I would love to connect with people on social media. My handle is I am Lena Franklin and that's L-E-N-A. Um, that's my handle for all, all platforms. Um, I'm probably most, most uh, connected on Instagram. So follow me there. And I post a lot of free content, meditation, tips, information. Um, it's just a beautiful way to continue to get the work. And also my website, if you're interested to learn more about the work that I do, linafranklin.com. And in terms of accessibility, I have two ways to to access the work that are kind of nice, like initial entry points for people. And that is my five-week being course. So it's a meditation course that deep dives into the being method, which is a way for you to work with your thoughts, your energy. Um, your meditation practice, you can ascend into the fullest expression of who you're meant to be as a human. Um, And also my meditation membership, which is a membership subscription program where you can get meditations and teachings on a weekly basis, um, highly accessible monetarily and both, both monetarily and logistically. So I would love to see you in the membership community. Um, and I'm just grateful to be doing this work. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to share it. Yes. Oh, thank you for coming on Lena. Um, and for all of our viewers, thank you for tuning in. You can follow us on Instagram at the space between podcast and on Facebook, and we will see you on the path.